most people, you have to worry about your one job and everything like that. I had all these clients and some of my clients made up huge portions of my income. They always go away. There's mergers, acquisitions. I get fired on and on. So, you know, I was always getting fired, like always. So I had no problem getting fired. I had no problem <laughs> losing income, but it, it just embedded something into my brain where if you're not working and if you're not getting something in the door, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. In fact, you're going backwards and the risk is huge. Right. So we lived on very little income. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. If you are a returning listener, thank you for coming back and entrusting us with more of your time. If you're new to the show, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I do not take it lightly. I know there's lots of options out there, lots of places that you could be spending your time. The fact that you're spending it here is very, very cool. So thanks for doing that. I have got a good one for you today, guys. It's awesome when I stumble upon someone who's an absolute expert in the industry uh, and that I get along with and really see eye to eye and have a fun, fun, fun time talking to them, even though I just met him. And today is definitely one of those people. He is an entrepreneur, businessman, investor, podcast host, author, and speaker. He owns and manages his self-storage portfolio of $100 million in assets of self-storage, uh, specializes in acquiring and turning around underperforming facilities with value-add strategies, and loves to show other entrepreneurs and investors how to focus on technology in self-storage. And like I said, he is an author. He is an author of the new book, The Investor's Guide to Growing Wealth in Self-Storage, the step-by-step -step playbook for turning a real estate asset into a thriving self-storage business. Guys, this is a brand new release book. Uh, you really need to check it out if self-storage is something that you think you might be interested in or something you know you're interested in. And uh, AJ is just an interesting guy because he's a self-storage like master. He knows what he's doing. He's He can talk about it forever, but he also owns multiple businesses. This is a true entrepreneur and someone who really gets it. He understands how to start, build, and grow businesses. And in the area of self-storage, there's nobody like him. So I'm excited to bring AJ Osborne to you today. And without any further delay, I give you AJ. All right, AJ, thank you for being on the show, man. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. You're a busy guy. You're running multiple successful businesses. You're an author, all that good stuff. And you're taking time. And that's cool. Thank you very much. Hey, no, I'm ha I'm happy to be here. You know, we had you on our podcast, and it, it was definitely one of our favorite podcasts. So Good. I, I'm I'm happy to be talking with you again. That's awesome, man. I appreciate the compliment. Well, I have no doubt this is going to be a good one too. We, like you said, I was on your show, and we kind of joked afterward that we could have talked for another couple of hours. It just had a lot of fun. I think we think similarly, and uh, it's always fun to talk to someone who's like minded who likes to talk, you know, we both like to talk. So that's a good thing. Yes. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, let's, let's let make sure that my audience is familiar with you. Let's get them up to speed a little bit on some of your background, how you got involved in real estate. Did you start in real estate? Did, was there another business before that? Were you a nine to five guy? What does it look like? Let's swing back the hands of time here and kind of talk about how you got your start. Yeah. I, you know, I was a nerd. I was an insurance nerd. So I was in like the most boring industry. <laughs> You're ever. in the industry that I typically pick on when I want to illustrate how boring something is to me. I'll go, it's like yes. reading insurance manuals. That's funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it was probably the best thing that ever happened because I was a sales guy. So I was selling group insurance, right? I followed in my father's footsteps. Um, he was an insurance salesman. Um, he grew up in extreme poverty and uh, he pulled himself out by sales. So for me, I'm like, that's how life is. You do sales, right? Yep. Um, and so I went, I lived in another, another country. I went to school, came out immediately, did sales. And for anyone that does sales or no sales, sales sucks. It's hard. It's really hard. And the failure rate for group insurance is extraordinarily high because the sales cycle's long and it's mm. extraordinarily technical. Yeah. Um, you're dealing with federal laws, state laws, carriers, multiple employee group sizes. It, there's just a lot going on. So it's yeah. not something, and there's no, it's not like you can get education for it, right? There's no degree to do group insurance for companies. Yeah. So um, I came into it and, uh, you know, we, 
we were lucky because me and my wife lived on nothing. It was like, you know, our more our rent was above an auto body shop at 300 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just went knocked doors and made basically nothing. It was a few hundred bucks a month. And she was a waitress and we just lived off that. Um, and until my cells started to get better so we could live. Um, but I, you know, I was at a point where I'm like, this is it. You know, I'd grown years and I'd gotten better and better and better. My income went up and up and up from sales. And I was always a commission guy. Hmm. So, you know, starting out, I had a few odd jobs. I was a, a I went to, you know, the company Aflac, that's the duck. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I started out as a glorified secretary for them that sat in the front desk and everything like that, which I was promptly fired for. They're like, you're the worst admin <laughs> secretary we've ever had. That but might be good like, news though. I mean, maybe that's good. It was, it was. They're like, but weirdly, all our clients love you. So <laughs> maybe we should just have you do sales and get you out of the admin part. And I'm like, sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I was just horrible, the worst. So I learned very quickly and early that there were some things that it, I was good at and that I had to stick to that because there was nothing else. Yeah. And so I, I did, I liked sales. It, it made me fail all the time. And, you know, there's nothing more humble, humbling than getting fired because, you know, most people, you have to worry about your one job and everything like that. I had all these clients and some of my clients made up huge portions of my income. They always go away. There's mergers, acquisitions. I get fired on and on. So you know, I was always getting fired, like always. So th- I had no problem getting fired. I had no problem <laughs> losing income, but it it just embedded something into my brain where if you're not working and if you're not getting something in the door, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. In fact, you're going backwards and the risk is huge. Right. So we lived on very little income. So we lived, we've always lived on less than 50% of our income. Yeah. And we, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's nice and conservative. So I'm like, no, I had to. Like, I was two clients away from 50% of my income leaving. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. It was great. But I think I was a little confused on wealth and financial freedom and everything because I thought I'm my own boss. I control my own time. I can make as much money as I theoretically want to. Yeah. Um, and that changed. So me and my wife had kids, right? We, we had dreams and I wanted to do stuff. And I, and I realized actually it was the opposite of everything I'd previously believed. Yeah. And yeah. Instead of having one boss, I had a lot of bosses. Yeah. You know what though? You said though, you know, everything kind of is sales in a way. So I think people who it have is. a sales background, especially if they struggled in like, you know, door knocking and all this, like that'll serve, that serves you forever. Like sales is such a valuable background to have. And I'm sure that you realize that and you're realizing oh, it in your I attribute that right to 80% of all my success. Yeah. There's something about just seeing the income coming in that like you have to create that revenue stream. Right. That makes you understand how the revenue works. Yep. And then you have to understand how the expenses work because I got to try to maximize what I can take home because that's my only income. I have. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't, you know, they work for big companies. I mean, they don't even see, they don't even understand that. A lot of people and most companies don't even know where the money really truly comes from, like how it's even brought. And it's it's strange. So when you're on the front lines of it and your, your entire career and family depends on it and the company's fine, right? If I leave, they have other sales guys, but I'm not. Yeah. Um, so it, it makes you a little obsessive compulsive about stuff. So for that reason, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I'm never not working because it's just grilled. And I'm the son of a, a father who grew up in, you know, I'm from Idaho. So they grew up in rural Idaho. My, my mom's a farm girl and my dad was in, they didn't have even electricity or running water. He had an outhouse. My dad's not oh, old, wow. right? He's in his fifties. Wow. So, um, it, that's been an, a culture of my family where it was like, yeah. no, you just work. Nobody yeah. cares if you're hurting. Nobody cares. You, like you work. Yeah. And so I think those two things really kind of helped me and kind of made me obsessive compulsive on some things. But what I learned through sales was I'd only figured out half of the puzzle. And I realized actually it was completely opposite of what I thought because I thought, Oh, I don't have a boss. When in reality I had lots of bosses Yeah, and my income was very risky and I thought, um, you know, I have financial freedom, but yet if my clients left me, how many months am I going to live? And then right. what do I do? Yeah. I don't even have a normal job. It's, yeah. no, it's not like I could go to apply to another company that does marketing and say, hey, I've been marketing for years, yeah. you know? And yeah. so when I started looking at that, I started going, hold on. And I, I got okay with that. But what I didn't get okay with was my income was directly tied to my time. Yep. If I wasn't working for a client, I didn't get paid. 
So where I thought I could grow an income actually meant something totally different. I was completely capped, but it's fooled me because I made a lot of money, right? Yeah. Sales guys, you make good money. Yep. And I learned something early on. I was rich, but I was not wealthy. Yeah. And those two things are completely different. Yep. And uh, being rich is not what we think in America. Doctors are rich, right? You have high paid people. Yep. I was a high paid person. That's a rich person. Yep. But I was however many months away from broke, bankruptcy, losing my house. Right. All the time. And uh, that is not scalable. So I would always be capped and, I've, and I'm sitting there going, I am on like the biggest treadmill ever. And the moment that treadmill stops, I'm screwed. Yep. So I thought, oh, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And so I thought, instead of going out and selling clients, I'm going to buy I'm going to buy blocks of businesses, we call them. People, we're going to buy like small businesses, like brokerage businesses and bring them in. Then I can, instead of selling it, I'm just going to buy 10 clients. That was great. And it started to work out. It was really good. But then one of my deals went south. And the reason it went south was because we bought the company and the guy that we bought it from, wife, went back and took all our clients. Our revenue disappeared. Wow. We bought this thing for millions. It ended up in lawsuits, everything else. Worst time of my life, right? Years. And I'm like, man, I, I suck at this. Like, I'm like, the, I can't get this stuff right. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? That's a huge, I think, that, that's a huge, like, I mean, obviously ethical breach, but I mean, that's a, that's a bad deal. You buy a company. Yeah. I don't know if, if the wording of the contract extends to the wife or. It was my fault. Wow. I should have had her sign in and everything else like that. Yeah. It had never crossed our mind right. though, that right. that would even happen. Wow. So not that I blame him. He did it, but. I'm the idiot that signed that contract that allowed it to. That's my wow. fault. That's on me. Yeah. And I had to come to grips with that. And the most important thing that I learned, and this turned the channel for everything, real estate investing, life, everything. I didn't own those revenue streams. They weren't mine. They're the clients. Yeah. I didn't own it. Yep. So none of the revenue streams that I had were mine. I can't compound that. I can't grow that. I can't retire on that. I can't do anything with that. Yep. So I said, we got to change. We have to have physical assets or we have to have some kind of investing structure that will pay us that does a few things. First of all, that I own mm -hmm. and that can be repeated and the outcome can be the same continually because I needed to be able to compound. I needed to be able to leverage my time. And that was impossible in my current situation. Now, did you, so when you say when we, we I'm sorry to interrupt you, AJ, but when you say yeah. we needed to do this, we needed to do that. Did you mean like you and your wife at that time or was there a team around Me and my father. You? You and your it was father. me and my father. Yeah, okay. so he's my partner. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, cool. Um, yeah, he's my partner and we own a lot of different companies. And in most of our companies, we're always uh, partners together. We have an incredible relationship. That's awesome. Um, How yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes that works and yeah. sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. for us, it works really well. Yeah, And great. so um, every company I've ever started, it's always been with him. And... Uh, when I, when we looked at it, we had been trying to diversify because also another problem that we had is we paid like 50% of taxes, right? Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand when we went out and we were trying to buy some real estate. So we went out and bought some small storage facilities, but the numbers never made sense. So I didn't ever want to get big into it because let's say that I had $200,000 to invest into a small storage facility. When I took that $200,000, thousand dollars invested into that storage facility. Let's say that it gave, was a 10 cap and it was going to be a 10 year return or whatever, you know, it's a 10 year return. Um, that's actually not true at all because I earned 400,000. I just put 200,000 in. So to actually make my money back that I spent time to earn, it was a 20 year payback. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm going, this doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm, I'm getting 50 cents on the dollar and so my dollar's return is on 50 cents. It, it's it's always cut in half and that just destroys comment. So I'm like trying to figure this stuff out. I'm not doing it. So what I'm hearing but, so far is storage yeah. units bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> but, but this is how you started off, right? Like this is what yeah. we do. We, we get into it and we realize what it takes to actually be profitable. Some people think, oh, real estate, just throw a dart into a, a group of houses and whatever happens, like it'll be profitable because it's real estate. No, no, no there's, there's, a, there's a skill to it and there, there's business behind it. It's not just, yes. you know, you just dumb stumble into like, this is so profitable. There, it's deliberate. And, and so I'm glad you're it talking is. about the, the aspect of your business that, that didn't work for you at scale, right? And why? Yes. That's huge. So people understand huge. that. And what we learned from this was twofold. So, and let me backtrack a little. I, I came up with a, a, a theory, 
or philosophy, right? I didn't like normal real estate like most people did because I, I didn't like the returns. I didn't really understand it. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a real estate investor. And when you're a sales guy and you're looking at a hundred bucks a door and you got to put whatever it is, you know, into it, 50,000 or something like that, I'm going, yeah. this doesn't make sense. I, I just didn't get it, right? I wasn't a real estate investor. But I, so I tried, decided I had to merge what I was doing on the business side. I was really good at hiring, building out systems, right? Um, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mergers, acquisitions. I wanted to merge that into something that was a hard asset. It was predictable, revenue generating, but something that had levers that I could change the result. Mm. And most real estate, like single family homes for me to buy and hold, there was no levers for me to change the return. It is what it is. Yeah. And I'm going to really do anything about it. Now, yes, there are things you can do, right? You can go in and do improvement stuff, but it's very limited compared to yeah. what I was used to, yeah. right? I was used to metrics. I was used to analyzing. I can hire people here and we can really boost our income. So when I looked at self-storage and once we bought a couple small ones to diversify, the only reason we bought them was because we're like, oh, they don't have toilets, right? <laughs> and so it's going to be easy, Yeah, which that was totally wrong. Yeah. Uh, but once we bought them, we learned something that I, that I thought, this is amazing. This isn't a real estate asset. Self-storage isn't real estate. It's a business. We have multiple products. We sell insurance. We have we act like a retail center. People come in every single day. We do dynamic pricing. It's month to month. We can do revenue management. Um, I do marketing. I have employees. I'm like, all these people own this and they think it's a real estate asset, but it's not. Yeah. And so we said, what if we went out and bought these and focused on the business aspect? We'll focus all on operations. I don't know what the building price per square foot is. I'm not a developer, nothing like that. Yeah. I'm going to look purely at one thing, revenue. So I decided occupancy doesn't matter. Cap rates don't matter. None of that matters. It's just BS lingo, real estate talk that I don't understand. What matters is if I buy it and I put this much money into it and the revenue is doing here, what operationally aspects can I change to increase that revenue to make it worth my time? That's it. That's all I cared about. Yeah. We went in and all I focused on was revenue management. And that model worked very well. And we used that model and we scaled to over a hundred million in assets. And what we were doing, I mean, we were basically buying properties, increasing that revenue because they are traded on cap rates and that's how banks value at them. Mm -hmm. And we were pulling millions out in years afterwards because we could so efficiently increase the revenue. So tell me, AJ, yeah. real quick, if I could just jump in here. Tell me, what does revenue management mean other than occupancy? Because I think people are just like locked into this, you know, for the, it's not like single family for sure. But I think when I think of this, it's like, well, how is it different than multifamily, like an apartment building, right? An apartment building, yes. a lot of it is occupancy. So if not occupancy, what else is there involved in revenue management? So let me, let me show you a good example. When, when you're on a plane, right? and you get on that plane and you fly from New York to San Francisco, every person in there that's sitting on a chair, they're paying a different price. And that price is usually huge. You got somebody in one seat that paid 90 bucks and you got somebody in another that paid a thousand. And when you go look at apartment buildings, if I'm on a block and there's three corners, all exact same class, they're A plus class, right? All two bedrooms, one bathroom go for the same price. Right. They all do. That's not how storage works. We can have competitors, we have, not we can, we have competitors down the road that have the exact same square footage, footage as us and they're 30% less revenue. So when people come in, they're looking for, like I have 10 different products and every person the supply and demand is different, their utilization is different. Yep. And I can price them differently and I can kick people in and out month by month and I can market to the highest paying ones and then I can get the lowest paying ones out. So I can act as a filter and shift and raise rates and play with price per square foot. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I look at the long-term, so the long-term value or the lifetime value, as I call it in my customer. Well, I can do things like insurance. So we created, uh, we sell tenant insurance, except we actually work and we self-fund that tenant insurance and we get 80 cents on the dollar. So 80 cents of everything that the, that insurance co does come to us. Yeah. Then we sell boxes. We can work with moving companies, right? And yeah. we can uh, work on the clients that we know and analyze that'll stay longer. So some people have 100% occupancy, right? But I have, let's say 85 occupancy, 
but my rates are 20% higher. And my people stay on average 15 months while their stays nine months. Yeah. That means my rates are over double. My revenues over double the exact same building down the street. Yeah. Just with a couple changes. And we focused on understanding those tenants. So you basically have tenants that care about price. You have tenants that care about location and you have uh, tenants that care about quality. The top two pay astronomically higher than the lower two. Yet the services don't really change in storage, right? It's not like, it's not like I'm looking at a class D property and apartment buildings and a class A apartment. And you're like, there's obviously a clear difference. Yeah. Storage is a commodity. Now, for all you storage people that are saying, it's not a commodity. If you have four storage facilities on every single corner and they're all the same and it's empty space, it's a commodity. You're selling space. You have to figure out how to execute that sell at the highest value and find the people whose highest value that is worth. You're right. Because it's not worth the same to everyone. You're right. And and I think you're right. I I think the fact that it's it's a commodity, it's a commodity, it's perceived as a commodity until you make it something that they're willing to pay more for, or you exactly. provide some sort of a this value to them that, that the other ones don't. So, okay. I, I know you were an insurance guy, and then I knew you had this epiphany that we need hard assets that we control. How long ago was all of this? When, when did you make that, that mental shift and we need to do this and kind of shift it? And, and are you still in insurance at all? Yeah, I own. Uh, yeah, I still own a brokerage company. Oh, I, uh, but I don't do most of the day to day stuff. So okay. I own a brokerage company, online company, okay. uh, real estate company, tech company. Gotcha. Okay, um, I kind of want to dig. I mean, you're kind of throwing them out there casually, but I'm so interested in that kind of stuff. So when did the storage unit epiphany? When did that first small one that you know you, we can't scale it, but I know a better way of doing this? When did all that happen? How long are we talking? So we first early 2000s okay. started to try to get rid of some of our tax penalties. And so we needed help on the taxes, right? The 50% yeah. taxes. I, we didn't know anything about real estate. We weren't gonna, so we didn't wanna invest in houses or apartments because we didn't know how to handle people. And so we are like, okay, once again, the no toilet thing. Yeah. So we started buying really small facilities in third tier markets. That's how we got our start. I mean, okay. the fir- our, you know, our first facility that we bought was in a place called Bonners Ferry, Idaho, that there's more grizzly bears there than there are people, like legitimately. She's like, that's an actual fact. That's an actual, I don't know if it's actual, but it's got to be pretty flipping close. (laughs) It's just out in the middle of nowhere, right? It's, you know, whatever, a hundred miles south of the Canadian border. It's just, um, and that's kind of where we were really small. Okay. There's no office, no, there's no fences. And uh, so we, we, we bought it because we thought, okay, this is a good deal on the price to revenue, right? Yep. But we didn't really know about anything about operating them. We didn't really understand that, but we had somebody that would take calls and we'd try to, you know, manage it. So we, we did a little and we thought, okay, this could be a good thing. Yeah. And so we bought a few more and uh, we were getting the depreciation and we're like, okay, this is good. It gives us a place to put money. Yep. Uh, but we weren't really seeing the potential. We started to see it, but then it got crazy. So 2000, you know, six, seven, five, we just stopped hmm. because all we focus on once again is revenue. Mm-hmm. The revenue didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And we didn't, I, I, I'm not even kidding. I didn't really understand anything about appreciation. It was just, we're cash flow guys. Yeah. And so, yeah. because of that, we stopped buying because cash flow didn't make sense. Yeah. And during that time, we could focus a lot more on what the heck do these things do and what makes a good buy and not. Like, how do we manage this? And we had a third party manager that was running one doing a horrible job. So we kicked them out. We, we started getting involved and turn around and we're like, we do a lot better job than these other places the recession hit and that was when my deal went south, which too is funny because those things weren't correlated at all. Our business was doing very well in the recession. Okay. I just did a stupid contract and that was in 2009. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, I got to deal with this crap going on. Yeah. And so we looked and said, why don't we, why don't we really look at this and let's really think about this and scale up on this. So we'd add five facilities at that point. Um, and we analyzed what was working and what wasn't. And then we went all in and we've been buying, building. We sold off all our original ones, all small ones. We scaled up um, ever since then. I just completed one, uh, 100,000 square feet last week. We just did the contract to Kansas City um, and we do conversions, new build, ground up. I buy buildings and turn them into, we got 500 contract of conversions, one new build. Um, so yeah, we, we really went big. 
Um, and we, we, we scaled, we learned, we learned from our mistakes, what was working and what wasn't working. Um, but we kind of figured, figured it out. Do you, I think I know the answer, but do you guys uh, seek out investors for these projects or do you fund everything yourself? We just started. I just started a private equity company this year to invest in real estate storage. So, and that was the thing is we were doing so well turning our equity. So we were improving these facilities, getting such massive equity in it that we were just, we were buying underperforming facilities, turning them around. We could refinance, pull our cap, capital in. Mm-hmm. And and two, for the vast majority of the starting company, me and my, my partner, who's my dad, I, I had a full-time job. I worked for a national company out of Chicago and we didn't take income from our storage. Wow. We just dumped everything back in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we made the mistakes on our dime. I learned on my dime. Yeah. And I worked two, three jobs during the time to build it up. It wasn't until after we surpassed 100 million in assets and thought, no, we're pretty good at this. Um, maybe we should look at doing it. So then we created a, because I don't do anything unless we're going to do it really big and unless it's going to be awesome. I want to be the best at everything. I'm kind of a little competitive. <laughs> so, uh, you know, then I said, we need to roll this out in a big way. We need to teach others about it. Yeah. People don't understand this asset class and they need to. It's important. So then we started the podcast, I did the book, everything, and we just gave everything out for free, all the information. I'm like, here's case studies, here's how you do it. And it, we just started uploading information, information, and it, it caught like wildfire. Yeah. People were like, why isn't anybody talking about this? Why, you know, there's no resources for this. And yeah. the book became a bestseller in three weeks. And it was just because the content, right? It was just yeah. like, listen, I, I get straight to the point. Here's what it is. And here's exactly how to do it. I don't fluff it up and say, well, there's appreciation and things like, no, I'm like, this is exactly how you execute top 10 steps. Here's how you do everything. And with that, we've attracted a lot of real estate or a lot of investors. And we're getting a lot of properties coming to us because it built trust. And people knew that there's no gotcha here. There's no thing. We're showing everything we're doing. Yeah. Um, so that's been cool. That's been fun. That's different for yeah. me. Um, and it's been great. Well, let's talk about just for two seconds. I don't want to get deep yeah. into it, but you probably yeah. can't anyway. But the the equity group, the this private equity yes, group. Yes, absolutely. What what do you mean? Just for the folks listening, right? So who are like, yeah. oh wow, this sounds great, and you know maybe someday, but I don't even know what private equity group means. How, how, yes. how, how does that look at a high level? So private equity just means we take on private people's money to give them equity in a deal. Okay. So when and I. I, I'm, I learned about this obviously a long time ago, but I, I didn't ever want to want to do it or get involved. And when we started looking at it, I thought there's a really good way to do this. And on our first deal that we had, it's, you know, a just absolute turnaround stabilized, but mom, pop, we refinanced third year, hundred percent out. It's a really good deal. And I thought this is a great deal to put investors in. In fact, deals that I don't think are home runs, I'll just do those. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm too worried about, you know, I don't want a lot of risk. And sure. so um, then we bring uh, uh, we bring them in. And so the equity portion is the down payment, so to speak. So let's say, let's say that it's a $5 million facility. We need a $1.5 million down payment, or in this case, it was a $1.8 million down payment. Yep. I put my money in and then we source for other people that want to invest in storage, but they're like, I don't know these things. We're not, they come give us their money and they get, equity in it, just like we do. So they're, they're right alongside, they get the depreciation, they get the revenue, they get the income. And then afterwards we refinance, we pay them the return and they stay in the deal. And then they just get checks in the mouth. Um, so it's been a way for me when I looked at, Hey, you know, we, after we surpassed a hundred million, I said, how do we, how do we take this to the next level? And I realized I'm, I want to get a lot more opportunity, but I am confined, right? Yeah. And once again, I don't ever want to be trapped or confined. I, exactly. I learned from my mistakes. So I figured if I could partner with other people, we could grow so much bigger and so much faster. And that's also partners like we have people that bring us deals and they get a, a portion for bringing us deal. So I'm like, we're going to partner up with people that want to bring us deal, want to work yeah. with us. And that's just been a, an amazing model. That's and smart. Yeah, we've had we've hired on a ton of incredibly smart people to come on and help us find deals. We started a wholesale company, and um, it's it, it's working really well. It's been really fun for me, um, and it feels like it it kind of get you know you know how you kind of get in the same old same yes. old. And like, do I want to yes. do this? I know exactly. And I figure what I really like 
because I like working with other people. I'm a total sales guy, right? I, I like talking. I'm like, oh yeah, how's it going? I like bouncing ideas around. And so working with people is fun for me. And I like others participating in success. And I like that. That is very satisfying to me. Yeah. So it's been something that I've really actually uh, enjoyed and we're super excited about expanding it and, and growing it. We've got so many deals in the pipeline, but that's, that's in a rundown kind of how the private equity portion yeah. works. Accredited investors come in, they give you money, they get part of the equity, which is the down payment in yeah. the deal. Awesome. Love it. You mentioned briefly, you have a technology company and, and I don't want to spend tons of time on it. It's a little off what we're talking about, but just out of curiosity, Actually, my not. own, okay. Out of my it's own crazy curiosity. You. Yeah. What is the tech company? So the tech company is called Tenant Inc. We are, I don't know, the largest investor, second largest investor with a partner of ours. Um, and it's a property management system for storage. The oh, reason okay. being is storage is kind of in the dark ages when it comes to technology. Okay. And there weren't a lot of things for small, mid-sized operators to compete with the REITs. And there wasn't anything dynamic. And so all the, like, not all, at least in our industry, property management systems are built by tech people. Yeah. Right. Yep. And they say, look, this is how apartments do it. This is how housing does it. This is how this we're going to use those models. And here you go. Sell storage people. That doesn't work very well with us. Yeah. We're such a different asset type, right? That'd be like a hotel trying to use an apartment thing. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And so we had all these frustrations and there was no software that worked. And most importantly, when you use a property management system, you don't own your data. Yeah. That is bad yeah. to scale. So we said, we're going to build an open source property management system where you can access your data and we can plug in with whoever we want to. We have open APIs and then we'll have a dynamic system that we can do online rentals. We can do virtual rentals, uh, so to, as they call it, like a unmanned facility, which I'm not, yeah, we can get into that in a minute, but okay. you know, basically though automated, which we were one of the first facilities in the world to roll out a keyless facility. Hmm. Um, and uh, that software system supports all this because once again, when I go into things, I go big and we had a lot of these concerns and we got, these are the things that are stopping me to get to a billion dollars in assets. Yeah. So we found other people and smart people and a, and a, pers a person that was a um, uh, Lance Watkins is his name. And he was a partner in other deals. And we funded other um, uh, the largest co-op in self-storage, which we're founding members of with him. And he started other tech companies in storage. So he's a storage guy. Okay. And he was like, we want to solve this. So us and I think it was 10 other operators all got together and are working on, on funding this. It, it's releasing nice. this month. So yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Oh, this is like stuff. a new thing then. This this software oh, yeah. is new. Well, okay. it's been a, it, they've been building it for like two years. But sure. yeah, it is new okay. as from the standpoint it's coming out. Nice. So yeah, nice. it's very, very exciting. It's it helps us to have just absolute intrinsic knowledge of how our business model works, which is so important. Yeah. And so many people they want to do things, but they're like, I want to have the options to, but I, I don't want to be involved in creating. This is complicated stuff, right? Yeah. So we're like, let's solve this. And then everybody can have access to it. And so anybody that wants to buy a storage facility wants it to be easy, automated or hands-off or whatever, they can use our software system and they just, you know, they don't have to worry about it. So you guys are buying, it sounds like, uh, all over the country, storage units, anywhere? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm Good looking player. everywhere, Pennsylvania, we're in Kansas, Ohio. Um, I'm focusing on good, I focus on good deals. How does That's one it. go about finding a storage facility that could potentially be a good uh, investment that is actually for sale? Or do you not worry if it's for sale? And you market to folks that- I've never, I've never bought a facility that was on the market. Okay, okay, um, fair enough. So let me let me share you my three three tiers to finding a storage Perfect. facility. Perfect, I love First it. of all, Thank you. This is what you got to do. Um, there's three legs to make it so it works. People are like, I don't see anything on the market. That's because the people that are buying them are, it's not like it's going up like a house. Yeah. So you need to do direct, as in you need to find the storage facilities you want to buy and you need to start talking to the owners. You need to be networking with operators and you need to have broker relations that are going to bring you deals before they hit the market. Those are the three things you really need to focus on. So you need to be a hunter. You got to be targeted. You got to go out and hunt for that one facility and don't call them up and say, Hey, can I buy your facility? Because you're one of a million people or send them a flyer, which he never even sees. Right. Call them up, ask them about him. How was he successful? How do you do this? Because everybody loves talking about themselves. Wow. Okay. And so you build a relationship. 
the relationship turns into deals. Yeah. Same with networking and same with brokers. Don't forget because just because it's a hard asset doesn't mean it's not a relationship business. It is cultivate, be honest, learn the business and you'll create opportunities. Nice. I love that. So I'm going to ask you a little bit out of the left field question here, because it occurs to me that you're a guy that has a lot going on. You have businesses, yeah. multiple businesses. You still own. I, I absolutely expect you to tell me you don't have the insurance business anymore. I was surprised when you said you still have it. So you have that tech, a bunch of other stuff. You started a wholesaling company. I run a wholesaling company. That's my main company. And I know what's involved in that business intimately, I yeah. would say. Uh, that is not something you just do as an afterthought with the last half hour of your day before you go to bed. I mean, it's a full-time business yep. to do it. And you said you like to do any, You're everything right. you do is at scale, right? So oh, yeah. Yeah. no doubt about we, it. We will business. be the biggest wholesale company in our state. Uh, okay. Okay, good. As long as you're not telling me you're the biggest in the world, because that's oh, my no. goal. You can't have no, that no, no. goal. I live in Idaho. Trust me, you're going to beat me. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to be, be hit that metric. There you go. So, um, so, so let me help. ask you this. This is what I want yeah. to get at though, before you, you yes. have all these businesses and I know I run multiple businesses as well. How, how do you keep yourself from not just being busy, but being productive? Like what, what, yes. what controls, what technology, what strategies do you use as a multiple business owner yeah. to be productive and get stuff done and move the ball down the field and not just be busy all day long? So I just made a video that I was putting on Instagram and it's my four top rules to start and grow a business fast and sustainable. Let me walk you through here. I love it. The first rule is documentation. You have to document everything. When you're starting a business, it sucks because you don't know what's going to work and you fail all the time. That's fine as long as you don't keep failing. Yeah. And you don't know that unless you're documenting everything you're doing. The second thing is metrics. Look at the metrics, the output, the result, and figure out what was working or what didn't work and correct it quickly. Those are called feedback loops. Mm -hmm. And that ties directly into the third thing, which is structure, policies, procedures, and execution. Now, these three things, before I get to the fourth thing, go hand in hand. You mm -hmm. have to document it, you have to measure it, and then you have to create a system. Because a business is simply a system that can repeat an action profitably. Yep. And you need to do it as many times as fast as you can and as profitable as you can. So you need to create that infrastructure that is done through policies, procedures, everything else like that, right? Yep. Then it gets on to me. Then the fourth thing, the fourth thing is the most important to achieve what we're talking about here. I have three rules. After I build the system, I hire, I get rid of, or I automate. If I am working in my business, it's failed. I should only work on my business. So anything that I'm doing inside the business, I need to hire for, I need to get rid of it, I shouldn't be doing it, or I have to automate it. Those are my only three options I give myself. And then what happens is I'm hiring people that are much better than me, I'm figuring out creative solutions to get the action done quicker, more profitable, and then I can focus on growing the business the overarching theme, the goals we're trying to achieve. And I make what I call impact decisions. So I focus every, all my energy is on impact decisions. And those are things that impact the system. Yeah. So if we're changing the system, I'm doing it. Yep. If part of the system's failing, I'm making the decision on why, what has to happen. But I work on the system, not in it. And this is very important because if you don't do this, you can't grow. And if you don't do this, you can't scale. And that's the entire difference. And then for that, we documentation, all that kind of stuff. We use software. I use software, everything from um, uh, Monday for my private equity company. So Monday, it puts all my employees on the same page. We're tracking all deals. And I get to see the snapshot every more, uh, every, it's funny, it's called Monday, but every Monday we get together <laughs> and we pop it up on a screen. And then our whole entire team, we sit down, my team, we look at it. I see all the deals, all the actions, their timeframes and their progress, events that have to be hit, everything. And they, we all walk through it. Nice. Then we, they show me what's going on. We give direction, what needs to change, what needs to happen. 
Then everybody goes back and gets done. And the whole time they're doing it, they're putting in notes, they're documenting, we're moving up progress, all that. And then I can jump on there anytime I want and see the progress of all our assets, all our deals, where they're at. I see when contracts need to be executed. I see when permits need to be given. I see all of that. And then every Monday they have to report back, why isn't that thing, we're at this time frame. what are the chances? And then we have percentage, odds, and then it's aggregated as a portfolio as a whole for new, new deals we're giving. Another thing that we use, and we use another thing for like our property management side, our property management company, um, we use, um, oh shoot, what is that app now? I, of course, the, the moment I need to remember it, I forget about it. Um, it's, uh, uh, well, I use Fiverr and some other things too for like uh, different different ones I got to work on. But oh, I, I, you know, now we ask, I, I'm dropping it. it. But all my management team uses one central app for all communications, approvals, process, everything like that. So when okay. I go back, I can go back three years from now and I can figure out why the door on building B was put in there. Yeah. How much it cost, everything yeah. that happened. It's not um, Slack or Basecamp or WhatsApp. Basecamp and Basecamp. Slack. Okay. Okay, cool. And WhatsApp. I use all three. So um, <laughs> I hit them all. What's the chance? Yeah, I hit them all. It's just like, oh. Well, and when I say I use them, really, I'm very rarely on Basecamp for that because I'm yeah. not assigned things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But my companies all operate on them. They can't, nothing can be approved. Our, so our CFO runs all approval processes. We do Intuit is our aggregating for our accounting software. Yep. All expenses, you have, we give limits. So what we're trying to do is empower employees mm, yeah. while maintaining control and quality. Yeah. It's very important. You yeah. empower employees, but you don't just let them go do whatever they want. So we we give um, we give decisions that have very low impact. I, I don't want to be dealing with that stuff. Right. If I hired you and I have to, if I have to tell you when you could spend $5, we have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You either need to go or I need to look inside myself and say, what problems do you have that you're doing, <laughs> exactly. right? So I'm a control yeah. freak. Um, but using these systems, and this is the great thing. I mean, think about if I wanted to run 15 facilities across the country 20 years ago. Yeah. The undertaking, the cost that that would yeah, be. The manpower. Having a facility sure. yeah. in Pennsylvania, and I, I'm like, I don't know what's going on there. Yep. I'd have to go there every quarter. Yep. Or I'd go run away. I don't need to do any of that now. Yeah. Um, and now we have trainers and two, our policy and procedure manual. Someone comes on, we have checklists, quality, all that. So it. it's the systems. Now, creating the system takes a lot of time. Yeah. But after they're done, your time is a fraction. And then you just make sure it's running good. Yep. Awesome. I love it, man. Let's just touch on for a minute. I want to talk about your new book, The Investor's Guide to Growing Wealth in Self-Storage, the step-by-step -step playbook yes. for turning a real estate asset into a thriving self-storage business. Talk to me about oh. that book. Why'd you write it? What's in it? Why should people buy it? All right. So we already covered that I'm a little competitor. Um, <laughs> but when I looked yeah. around the industry, I had a lot of problems with people in the industry and the quality of the content that was coming out because it was just garbage. Um, and the only thing that was coming out on self-storage, and it's not because of the people in the industry, it's because nobody cared about self-storage until after 2008. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even tell people I invested in self-storage before that because they're like, oh, so you're in the junkyard business, AJ. It was like, you know, it was really looked down upon. Yeah. It was like gross. And now it's like the hottest thing ever. Um, but because of that, there was nobody that had had a central theme. And two, self-storage changed so much that there was nobody that had really gotten caught up and put that content into a way that users could understand it to make it actionable. Yeah. And all the content that was out there was basically a pamphlet on, you know, why they should buy my high-end coaching program or my software system. Yeah. And I'm like, why is it in apartment buildings and everything else? We have this great quality information. We need an end to end. If I'm interested in getting into self storage, everything I need to know, everything that I need to do. So I just said, yeah. well, it's not out there. I'm going to do it. And it literally is like a step-by-step -step playbook. I give our closing checklists, everything, how you find deals, most importantly, how you value them. What I call money on the table, how you find deals that the money's being left on the table. It's sitting there. The owner just doesn't know it. Yeah. Those are the deals you look for. So they can, you can take the money off the table. So it's, it's all that. It's how you, it, and how you continue it, right? So it's not just like, oh, here's how you get one deal. After that, how do you repeat this? How do you consistently find deals? How do you consistently run a good storage facility? Um, so it's the largest self-storage uh, book on the market, but it was really about quality. 
Can someone, I wanted to get something out there. Yeah, that's awesome. Let, let's just say I'm listening to this. I've never, never invested in real estate in any way, shape or form. Want to get involved. Is self-storage the kind of investment vehicle or the kind of asset that someone can do as a beginner? Or do you need to have a lot of money? Do you need to have a lot of experience? Like how, how can I, how can I take action as, as a new investor or can I, does it take more? Self-storage is the number one opportunity for anyone that wants to get into commercial real estate. And let me explain why. First of all, if you've just heard my story, you knew I was an idiot and I had nothing to do with <laughs> investing and that's how I got started. So, um, you the know, that's, pitch, uh, man. that should tell you right there. Uh, so, um, but, uh, the, the fundamentals of storage is why you got to look if you, people, it's interesting to me, they're like, oh, sell storage is, you know, I don't really understand. So I'm going to go into apartment buildings. And I'm like, you understand that 83% of the entire multifamily industry is controlled by institutions, right? 74% of every single storage facility in the United States is owned by a mom and pop and one family operator. Really? So hmm. looking at just the sheer numbers of it, my odds of being more successful because I'm not the smartest guy is going to be there because I'm not competing with banks and hedge funds and everything else. Yeah. Right. Yep. Now, first of all, yes, there are REITs and there's funds and everything. And that's changing. Like self storage is now cool and everybody wants to get into it. So it's consolidating, but, and people are like, Oh yeah, but it's consolidating and it's changing fast. I'm like, so would you rather get in an industry before it changes or would you right. rather go in and try to compete in the ones that don't? Retail's dead. Look at hotels. People are going, where are we going to go? Where are we putting our money? Where can I have an advantage? Where can I learn? Yeah. And what's an industry I can grow in? If you want to be a real estate investor, I do think self-storage offers you the number one opportunity. I can go buy a 300, 100,000 storage facility. They're all over the United States. You can start small in a commercial asset and grow big. Yeah. If I wanted to go buy a retail center and get started there, how much do I got to get started? I mean, what's the minimum? A million? And that's a piece of junk. Right. Like, you know, no, but self storage facilities, you can start with 20 units. Well, retail and, and retail and strip 2, malls. Retail and strip malls, if you drive around at all lately, <laughs> they are not doing so well. I mean, there's a no. lot of businesses going out of business because, you know, obviously what we're going through right now. So. And I would exactly. assume that's not affecting self-storage. I mean, the fact that there's social Our distancing up. and yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would think that's a perfect, a perfect industry in the, in the world that we're living in currently for sure. And then going yeah. forward, like you said, I now, love that, man. No, 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 no. I got to give it, I got to give a disclaimer here though. Okay. It can't be all ro sunshine, roses, and right, tell me the and bad. It, it, it's not true. Right. So it, the first thing you got to get rid of is this idea that there's a perfect investment and that something's recession proof. That's stupid. Nothing is. And yeah. if you think that you're going to get in trouble, yeah. the key to understanding self-storage is understanding self-storage number one enemy. That's self-storage. Self-storage gets overbuilt. So markets get oversupplied uh, okay. and that's where people get in trouble. Got too many people buy, too many people build. So if you want to get into self-storage, the number one thing you need to be concerned about is demand. Yeah. Make sure markets aren't oversupplied, overbuilt. Are they building new facilities in town? And if so, can the market hold it? Can it not? That's where you need to focus. Everyone that I've ever met that got in trouble in self-storage was because of that. Wow, that's huge. That's a huge tip. Like I, That didn't come to me intuitively. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That makes a ton of sense. I assume that there are metrics. There's places you can go to find out what the demand is. Um, it's yeah. not just, you know, you're not just waving a magic wand trying to figure it no, out. There's, I, I, there's Radius stuff. Plus, and you can go and look in ISS, SSA. They have national measurements. And then I call local planning and zoning, say what's going to be built and how's it going to look. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and really, I look at it like this. In storage, if you get demand right, it's kind of hard to fail. Wow. Um, because it, 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 in, if you can limit it down to that simplest principle, you will be very successful. Nice. I love it, man. That's a great place to stop. AJ, you're the man. I appreciate it. I had just as much fun interviewing you as I had being interviewed by you. Uh, I suspect if we lived closer, we, we would hang out because I think we think a lot alike. <laughs> yes. So, and I enjoy spending time with you. So thanks for doing this, man. Again, I know you're Absolutely. a busy guy, uh, but this has been invaluable. And I think that self-storage, while it used to not be cool and now it is cool and it's hotter, I still think there's so much 
misinformation and lack of information. And, and yeah. luckily we have your book now to, to we're getting an end to end look at how that all works. But I do think it's something where people go self storage. I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. And then they just kind of move on with their day. Right. So yes. getting the word out and telling people like this is a viable, not only viable, it's a very, very good option for you if you're going to get into real estate. So thank you for that, man. I appreciate your time. Anything else you want to say? Any way people get a hold of you? Something you want to talk about? We mentioned your book, guys. Go get the investor's guide to borrow uh, to growing wealth in self-storage. Get it now. I'm assuming it's on Amazon. They can go wherever yep. they get books. Amazon. And get it. It's the blue book. Nice. Um, and yeah, no, AJ Osborne and Instagram. I'm there. I post our projects, everything else. Sweet. And self-storage income is our page for investors and people that want to go to. They can get all the information and Love videos, it. stuff. But Love it. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy that episode. I really enjoyed talking to AJ. We're not kidding around. When I was on his podcast, we just got along great. We think a lot alike, very similar approaches, um, some similarities in our background. So I just enjoy talking to the guy. I, I love talking to smart guys that are doing smart things. And he's clearly someone who knows how to build a business and he really knows self-storage. So if that's something that piques your interest, if it's something that you think you wanna get into, and there's a lot of compelling reasons to do it, guys. I'm not, uh, I'm not just saying that because he was on my show. Uh, fantastic vehicle, fantastic investment choice. And he, like he said, he put a book out. He does social media stuff. He's got a Facebook group. Like he's just giving away all this information. So go gobble it up and see if it makes sense for you. And if it's something that you want to be involved in, because there are folks out there like him that'll just give it all, like they'll give it all away how to do it. So go and check them out. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, just trying to give you a broad spectrum of options and things that you can think about and whatever piqued your interest, whatever seems to be aligned with what you're trying to get out of your business, out of your life, the kind of investing you want to do, we're going to bring it to you and we're going to bring you the best in the industry to tell you how to do it. And today was absolutely no, no exception. So get out there and get started. Get out there and do it today. Make today the best day ever. Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start as two words now, just start to the number 55444. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.